Welcome to the Nickel Package. It's the final podcast of the year, the one we've been waiting for. Super Bowl 48 on deck this weekend on Sunday in New Jersey. I'm joined by Joe Fortenbaugh of the National Football Post. We'll break down the game. We'll give our picks against the spread. We'll talk about the total. And then we'll also talk about our favorite props for this big game on Sunday. Joe, it's been a couple weeks. How you been doing? You know, I'm doing great, Rob. I can't believe it, man. We started this with college and pro back in late August, and now we're already at the uh, beginning of February here, ready to talk about the Super Bowl. It's amazing, but it's been a hell of a run, and I know between the props and the side in total, we've got a lot to offer here today, so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, definitely. I've been very busy this week. I'm, I'm not a big prop better. Usually in the regular season, I'll almost never bet them, but obviously this is a Super Bowl. It's a big game of the year. Uh, the most heavily bet game uh, in the year across any sport uh, when you don't count World Cup and ever, anything going on like that. But um, I've been looking at props. I'm looking forward to breaking it down. But let's start with the actual game itself. Uh, there was very interesting line movement, obviously, on the first night where this spread was released. Depending on the spot, Seattle was even favored in some spots. Uh, but we did see some very early movement towards Denver. Now, we talked about this, you know, even before the, the conference finals when Denver took on New England and San Fran took on Seattle because there was already a prop posted with the NFC favored three over the AFC in the Super Bowl. We've seen a complete reversal since then with the Seahawks getting three points in some spots. I think there was a big overreaction to those conference finals games, Joe. I think the Seahawks should be favored in this game. If you can find a plus three, I love that play, but I do think Seattle's going to win this game outright. You know what? You're touching on the most important point there early. The discrepancy between the look-ahead lines, which are anywhere from Seattle minus three over Denver to Seattle minus one over Denver, to the line being released at around Pickham and then being steamed up to about two and a half across the board here in Vegas. What happened championship weekend that would warrant a five, five-and-a-half-point line adjustment? That's the question. In my eyes, I didn't see anything. I think Seattle played the better football team in San Francisco. Yeah, Denver looked better in their win over New England, but come on, man. New England's not on the same level as those four teams. They're not on the same level as San Francisco. They did a real nice job with what they have this year, but the bottom line is they were exposed in that Denver game because they had nothing whatsoever at the wide receiver position. And when they couldn't get the ground game going, it was over because that defense couldn't get a stop to save their lives. So I look at Seattle beating San Francisco for the second time this year. Uh, could have been a third time if Frank Gore doesn't rip off that one run in San Francisco. They come back from behind. I thought they looked fantastic in the process. Mm-hmm. And now we have this huge adjustment. So to me, the line screams value. I think when you look at this game and you look at the line, the first thing you take into account is the fact that if we were talking about true odds here, the bookmakers setting their true number, not worried about balancing the action, not worried about which way the public's going to come in and them being dumped on one side. I think Seattle comes out either pick them or as a small favorite in this game. But I think the bookmakers knew Denver would be the public play. Jay Cornegay from the LVH said earlier today on the radio here in Vegas, 75% of the tickets they've written have been on the Broncos. A lot of small tickets. He's telling, he said he can't believe how many 15 and $25 tickets he has on the Broncos, but 75% of the tickets have been written on Denver. So I think that was the reason for the adjustment and the move. But to me, there's value here, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it. 
that adjustment too big for no reason. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the public did get in on Denver early on. Uh, I, I was, you know, I follow a lot of football people on Twitter, but I'm looking at my timeline on the Sunday of the NFC Championship, uh, right when Seattle's beating San Fran, and everyone's taking Denver in the Super Bowl right away. And I'm thinking the same thing as you. I'm like, wait a minute here. Denver did beat New England, and they handled them in that game. But we talked about this on the podcast. I didn't think New England was very good in the first place. They had a lot of injuries, and then Aqib Tlaib goes out in the middle of that game as well. That that completely alters the outcome of that game. And then Seattle, they beat San Fran, and granted it's a close game. They had to come from behind to do it, but I think they beat the second-best team in football there. I really think whoever won that game would have taken care of Denver in the Super Bowl. So... I also get the the fact that the public falls in love with the quarterbacks, and that's something we have to take into account here. It's it's being dubbed as Peyton Manning versus Russell Wilson, when really it's not Peyton Manning versus Russell Wilson. You look at the Seahawks, they're a much more complete team. This is a team that doesn't really have a, a major weakness. Where you look at Denver, there are some legitimate concerns on that defense, Joe. A lot of concerns on that defense. They just haven't been exposed the last two weeks because San Diego and New England waited until the fourth quarter before they finally started to try and open it up. Um, I'm still, if you put those four teams that were in the championship games next to each other and didn't worry about home field or anything else, I thought San Francisco was the best team still standing. They were playing the best football of anyone. They had been going on the road and taking out every possible opponent. I think Seattle, you know, I, I, and I think you're right, Rob, you touched on this. When, they, when people watched that game, they weren't that impressed with how Seattle played. They look at Russell Wilson fumbling the ball on the first play of the game. They look at the intentional grounding penalties, the inability to get get on, in on the goal line. They were not impressed with that offense, and they see that, and then on the other side, they see Peyton Manning in a high-powered offense, and they think Seattle can't keep up. Well, this is the best defense Denver's faced all year by a mile. Look at the schedules these two teams have played. It's not even close. San Francisco, or excuse me, Seattle, has played big game after big game. Denver hasn't really played anybody all that great. I mean, who's that great that they knocked off this season? Right. New England? Yeah, there may be a top six team, top seven team, uh, but they weren't elite. You know, San San Diego, they had to fight to get by them. They lost one of those. Come on, the Chargers were a nice story, but they're not an elite football team. Kansas City, we saw them flop at the end of the season. They couldn't play defense worth a damn. So the reality here is this is the best game Denver's going to have. This is the best team Denver's faced all season, whereas Seattle, I, I, I don't necessarily think I can say that for them. I think the best team they played was San Francisco three times, which they won two of them and almost won the third. So... You know, I, I think that's the reason we're seeing this one note on this line for people who are deciding what to play. According to the numbers in Vegas and Jay Cornegay and some of the other guys here, they are convinced this line will not hit three. They think it's going to take an outpouring of Denver money. And having a meeting here with a lot of the pro gamblers earlier this week to go over prop bets, the consensus was the same. Everybody wants to play Seattle. We're all waiting for the three. So the bookmakers are going to be extremely hesitant about hanging that three because they know they're going to take significant-sized bets on the Seahawks if that happens. So one option you might want to take, and one guy recommended this, for this game, yeah, I, I think I might buy the half point to get my three because I don't have any offshores offering me a three right now, and I think I might go ahead and just buy that half point, lay the extra juice to make sure I've got the field goal in this game. It's a, it's a tactic I normally wouldn't employ, but for the Super Bowl final game of the year, I think I'm going to bring it into play. I agree. I think three is a very important number in this game. I, I, I think Seattle's the better team, but obviously I'm going to feel much more comfortable grabbing three. In my 
my personal opinion, if I can't get a three, I'm much more inclined to bet the Seahawks on the money line because I don't, I don't see those points being a factor in the game. Obviously, you know, Denver could win by one or two, but you're, you know, you're getting 15, 20 cents on the money line. I think that's a better play than taking, you know, one and a half or two points where there's very little chance that those points actually matter in the game. That's not bad at all. That's a good angle right there. And here's another one. When you looked at these alternative lines, did anything grab your attention? Because five of the last six Super Bowls, I believe, have been decided by six or fewer points. The only one that wasn't was the um, New Orleans uh, Colts Super Bowl in Miami, where New Orleans won by 14 on that late touchdown. Everything else has been very, very close. So some of these alternative point spreads, if you think Denver's going to win by a blowout, hell, don't lay the two and a half. Go ahead and lay seven and a half. Lay ten and a half. If you think Seattle's going to win this game and they might win it handily, go ahead and play a minus three and a half or play a minus seven because you might have an opportunity there to make a real big return on your investment. I don't know if I'm going to find myself on any of those alternative lines, but I I do think for people that have a very strong opinion on this game and don't love the current number, there's some great options out there. Yeah, I don't have the odds in front of me, but I think if you think it's going to be a close game, you could play Denver to win by between zero and six points at plus money and take the same thing for Seattle, and if the game is decided by less than six points and any instance, no matter who wins, you end up on top. I did look at that this week. I don't really see a blowout either way. I think it's going to be a good game. I think if Seattle's ahead, you do have that backdoor you know, potential with Manning. I don't see a, a, an alternate spread holding up with Seattle. Uh, conversely, I don't think Denver's going to run away with it either. They can obviously score, but Seattle's defense is very good. I just don't see Denver putting up a ton of points. And that leads us into the conversation on the total, Joe, because uh, total coming out at 48 at, at open, some money coming in on the under. Uh, I, I agreed with that move right away. It's it's not a play that I love. If I was going to tease the game, I would tease it towards the under. Uh, but it's something that I'm going to stay away from. I think the odds makers did a pretty good job with the total, Joe. They did, and this is going to be a real interesting game to try to figure out because if you want to pick a position on the total, the one thing you want to do is think about where this line is going to move, and that's what becomes challenging because this is a Super Bowl unlike any other we've ever seen. Generally, the Super Bowl functions the same way when it comes to the total. The line goes up as we approach kickoff and especially on game day. Why? The public loves to bet overs. You have more public bettors on this game than any other sporting event of the year, and it's against human nature to root against scoring. Right. You don't want to sit there and cheer for punts and three and outs all game long. You want to root for scoring. So the number generally goes up, and if it follows that path, you could wait if you like the under. But here's the problem. All we've been hearing about for years is that this is an outdoor Super Bowl. It's in the cold weather. The early forecast has it at 30 degrees with a 30% chance of snow. People hear that, and they don't realize wind is the factor that kills scoring, not snow. Look at the Eagles-Detroit game. Snow and rain, they don't mean all that much. Wind is what matters. But the public doesn't know that, so the public, this could be the one rare instance where they come in betting unders. From the people I've talked to, they don't think that's going to happen. The line has gone up a little bit as as we've gotten closer to the game. The win now has a 48 out there. I'm wondering, should I take the 48 and play the under, or should I wait a little bit and see if I can get more? I'm not sure yet. I think I will wait, because I don't think there's going to be a huge fluctuation in this unless there's some crazy adjustment to the forecast. But I'll probably have a little bit on this as well. But mark my words, I don't love the position either way on the total. Yeah, and, and I'm looking at the later latest weather forecast now, and they are expecting the game to be in the high 30s, maybe the low 40s as of the latest forecast. And wind's expected to be low as well, between 5 Five and eight miles an hour. So not expected to play a factor. Again, I think it's just a good number. I think that the early betting came in on the under because of those concerns that you mentioned. 
uh, the possible snow, possible windy game, especially, you know, I, I'm up in Toronto right now. I've seen the weather around this region for the last couple of weeks. It's been a disaster. There's even been <laughs> slow. You know, in Atlanta, there was uh, two inches of snow the other day, and the whole city is is just, you know, on fire there basically as well. So there's been some horrible, horrible weather in, in the last uh, couple of weeks. But um, expect it to be good weather. So I don't think that plays a factor. Uh, and I, I really wouldn't I agree with, with everything you said about the wind. Uh, we both know that. Wind is the biggest factor. I was waiting to see on that. Doesn't look like it's going to be a windy day. So passes should be a little bit better, especially for especially for Manning, who obviously has those concerns. Uh, Richard Sherman coming out this week saying he throws a lot of ducks. Uh, ducks don't, uh, you know, they're not that successful when it's windy outside, Joe. But like you said, it's not supposed to be too windy, which brings me to another point. The Broncos have really lucked out with the weather in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They get two gorgeous days in Denver for their games against San Diego and New England, and now they're going to play an outdoor Super Bowl, but they're not going to get hit with the winds that the Eagles and all the NFC East teams know from going to the stadium in November and December. So big break there for Denver. I would say this. My thoughts are that the entire world is watching the weather for this game because it's a big storyline. If this weather is anything less than a blizzard or a tornado, you're going to have everyone talking about how the Super Bowl lucked out compared to everything that's happened in the Northeast this year. They're getting a real good day, and this is going to be a good game. And I think that is going to get people saying, all right, no blizzard, little wind, I'm playing the over. And you're going to have that recreational money coming in. You'll get back to a flat 48 across the board with everyone offering it, and then it might go a little bit higher. That's my prediction. So if you like the under, I think you can wait a little bit, and you'll get a better offering come kickoff. All right, Joe, let's move into the props for this game. So uh, I know we've exchanged some emails about props. I've been looking at them for the last uh, week since they've been posted as well. There are about five of them that catch my eye. That's why I decided to go with uh, giving out five props each on the show. Uh, But I'll start things off with... Um, first turnover of the game. I, I look at this prop. Seattle's favored, minus 115 to minus 120 in both spots. I'm going to take Denver at even money for the first turnover in the game. And you look at this, I understand the line. You look at the fact that Denver doesn't give up sacks. They've only given up 20 all year. Seattle's given up 51. I get that. Seattle struggles to protect the quarterback. But when you look at fumbles this year, despite that difference, Denver and Seattle are only separated by one fumble on offense this year. And you look at the defensive side of the ball, Seattle forces turnovers. They're great at picking off the ball. Russell Wilson does not toss a lot of interceptions on offense. I, I just like this prop. I think there's good value. I think the wrong team is favored here. I'm going to take Denver to commit the first turnover of the game, Joe. Yeah, I'm okay with that. you got a ball-hawking secondary. When you watch uh, Seattle, they gang-tackle. They look to rip out the football. You're going to see that happening again. Marshawn Lynch, he's had some issues fumbling, but any time it ever happens with that guy, he wants to... He just wants to go off on himself on the sidelines. You know it is so beneath him in his eyes to fumble the football. I think you're going to get a real good showing from him. And after what happened at the start of the San Francisco game with Wilson, I think they're going to try to ease him in a little bit more, which will lead into some other props we have in store later in the show here. But um, I don't think they're going to try anything too creative. Plus, it's in the back of his mind. Look, I can't afford to turn the ball over on the first play of the game. So if you're going to take a shot here, I like the one. I like it with Denver as well. Uh, tip pass, you know, a ball hawking defense. When it comes to turnovers, I'd rather have the ball hawking defense against the offense that's that's very good with the football right. than I would a, an offense that's maybe a little uh, a little you know, 
queasy with it, not as uh, not as protective of the ball, but against a defense that doesn't force a, lot, a whole lot of turnovers. So that's probably where I'd lead. I do think one note: it's always <laughs> I always have mixed emotions on doing these props of like what'll happen first. Right. For example, Marshawn Lynch's first carry over under four and a half yards. That is really dicey. A right. slip in the backfield. <laughs> you know, no amount of metrics or statistics can project something like that. That being said, I guarantee you I'll play one or two of them in the hopes that I can cash something really early in the game and be in a good mood. But overall, I never make big plays on those, and I never have a lot of them because they're just too hard to handicap. Marshawn Lynch's first carry in every single game could have been six or more yards for 15 straight games. But if Russell Wilson slips or Marshawn Lynch slips or one offensive tackle misses a block, that thing gets blown up and you lose. So there's no metrics there that can help you with that. The reason I'm going with the first prop in, uh, first in, in this instance is because I'm getting a better price than if I take it on the game yeah. total. So that's the only reason. I'm getting 10 cents better on this play, so I'll, I'll risk it that it happens first. You know, I'll kick myself if Russell Wilson throws an interception and then, you know, the Seahawks get two turnovers on defense later on in the game. Fine. Uh, maybe I should have laid the 10 cents. But I'm looking for the best price available. I like this spot, Joe. Yeah, and I don't think this one is, 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 is you know, as questionable as the ones I was talking about earlier. Right, right. I was mainly talking about ones that it's like the first play of the game. Yes. This one could happen in like the third quarter. And I think you take the ball-hawking defense that's going to try to generate some pressure, that's going to be very physical with the wide receivers. You, you never know. The way these guys maul the wide receivers, Manny could try to find a ball in a tight spot. You could, with Sherman or... You know, Bobby Wagner, any of these guys could have an arm in there. The ball gets deflected, and boom, you've got an interception. And when you're talking about Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas, those guys roam the field like no other. So uh, I, I, that's, I, I'm okay with this one. I don't think it's what I'm going to play, but if I was going to, I'd side with you there. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's get your list uh, kicked off here. All right, first one for me is under 10.5 tackles for Bobby Wagner, middle linebacker, Seattle Seahawks. I love Bobby Wagner. I need to make it very clear that I'm not betting against Wagner because I don't think he's good. I don't want people to have that impression because if you don't know about this guy, watch him on Sunday. He is outstanding. Now, the reason for the under is as follows. Uh, Wagner has played 34 games in his NFL career. He's only gone over 11 or more tackles eight times. Mm. Four of those times happened this season. He played 16 total games this year, was injured twice during the regular season. Four times in 16 games he hit that number, so that's only 25%. But take note, all four of those games came at home. He never did it once on the road. That's Wagner. Now to the other side of the ball with Denver. In 18 games this year, only six players have amassed 11 or more tackles against the Denver Broncos. Three of those players, Dallas' Barry Church, um, this, one of the safeties from New England, I think his name is Deron Harmon, and Charles Woodson, a safety in Oakland, they all play the safety position. Right. Also note that Harmon got there because he got an extra 13 minutes in overtime. Two of the other players, D'Amico Ryans from Philadelphia and Perry Riley from Washington, are inside linebackers in a 3-4 scheme. That leaves one player, Sean Lee from Dallas, the lone 4-3 middle linebacker who has amassed 11 or more tackles against Denver this season. And he, That's I, the position Wagner played. And, he, now, and Sean Lee does, that, sorry to interrupt you, Joe, but Sean Lee picks up tackles against everyone as well. You look yeah. at his tackle numbers in the last two years, uh, this is coming from a Cowboys fan, sorry to interrupt you, but that, that's, that's, that's not out of the ordinary for Sean Lee. He would do that against almost any opponent. So that's your one guy that plays the same position as Wagner who's rolled up those numbers. Now, in those six games that it's happened, Denver has scored a minimum of 34 points and run a minimum of 71 plays in each of those games. I don't see that happening here. I don't see Denver getting the 34 points, and I think it's going to be very difficult to get the 71 plays when Seattle's playing good defense, running the football, and controlling the clock. So 
like I said before the show, I'm not really in love with any of these plays. There's nothing that stands out as an awesome play to me that I think is a guaranteed lock, as people like to say. <laughs> but this one, I think the metrics and the numbers prove strong. I do think Wagner has a good game, but I don't think he reaches 11 tackles, especially if Seattle can get the running game going, which I do think against this defense uh, they'll be able to do. So I'm going under 11 and a half, uh, under 10 and a half tackles, Bobby Wagner. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more I like that as well, too. You look at Denver's offense, they're, they love to spread the field. That's one thing Manning does really well, so I, I, I don't see them trying to attack a particular player, and if they do, it'll be a corner for uh, for Seattle as well, the opposite of Sher- Sherman. So uh, I do like that as well. I don't see him picking up a lot of tackles. I don't see Denver content to continuously run the ball up the middle. That's not going to happen in this game either. Uh, I, I do like that play. Um, ten and a half, the best number you can find there, Joe? Yeah, ten and a half minus one ten. Actually, a lot of shops are offering eight and a half or nine and a half right. on over under. So now I wouldn't play that, but ten and a half I thought was too high. The LVH released that. I know there's some offshores that have it as well, but it's, it was minus one ten both ways when I played it. So I think there's you're not taking a big risk there either. So I like that. Also note that two of the four times this season that Wagner hit that number, he um, went against teams San Francisco in the NFC Championship mm-hmm. game, and then there was a game earlier in the season I can't remember who it was, but both times the opposing team ran the ball like 28 or more times. Denver's not going to be running that ball this much today. No, I agree. Okay, I should say. I agree. Um, I'll move on to my next one, Joe. I'm not in love. Uh, again, I'll, I'll just stress this as well. I'm not in love with any of these props. Um, they'll be very small plays for me. My big plays coming on the game. But uh, with that being said, I see a little bit of value here. And I'll understand if there's hesitancy from other people to bet this one. It's the first touchdown scored in the game. I'm going with a receiving touchdown, but I'm laying 75 cents. Now, it looks like a steep price. But you go back to the regular season games uh, for these two teams this year and look at, specifically at the road games. I like looking at road games because this is a road game for both teams. It's being played in a neutral environment. And Seattle's pass defense is very good. But six of their eight road games this year, they gave up an opening touchdown via the pass. The same thing happened in Denver's road games this year. Six of the eight opening touchdown via pass. That's a 75% success rate on this prop in the regular season. You convert the betting line to a percentage. Minus 175 is a probability of around 63-64%. So I bet value where I see it. 75% 75% chance in the regular season. Odds makers are telling me it's a 64% chance. I'll bet that prop. I have no problem laying the juice, Joe. Yeah, I like that one as well. The only way you get burned is if Seattle's down on the goal line. Or if Russell Wilson breaks a really long run, but that'll get to one of my props later, which you'd end up winning on that then anyway. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. I think Denver, if they're scoring, it's through the passing game. I think they get inside the red zone. Football Outsiders put it out today. In the history of the NFL, Seattle's red zone defense ranks number one all-time in their red zone DVOA efficiency. Um, those are pretty solid numbers. I always like looking what those guys come up with. I might not agree with 100% with what they say, but it's, it's a lot of good information, and they put a lot of work into it, and this defense is really lights out. So I don't see a guy like Noshan Marino or Monte Ball plugging in when they get down there. I really don't. I think Denver's going to have to throw. I think you look at the Seattle side of the equation, they're just as likely to throw it in there as they are to run it. They could score from a far distance out. That'd be through the pass. The only way you get burned is if they get down on the goal line and they go to Marshawn Lynch. But when you look at all the factors involved, including the price, which that's an excellent breakdown, talking about your true odds versus the odds, be, odds being off 
Stafford, I think it's a good move there. So, yeah, if you're going to lay a little more juice, find one where you're getting good value, but don't put yourself in a position where you're laying big numbers on juice all day long right. because you don't want to have to win to go, to go four and one to barely turn a little bit of a profit. You, you want to set yourself up with a situation to make money here. So take them where you find them, and I think this is a good one. All right, Joe, let's move on to your number four. Yeah, this is a similar one. So I'm not going to advise people go nuts on this because you're laying minus 175, but it's the under on Seattle wide receivers to catch a pass. The over-under is 7.5, the juice minus 175 on the under. So be careful here. If you don't want to play it, I completely understand. This is probably going to be the one big one I play in terms of a heavy favorite. Uh, Seattle, I think in 18 games this year, only five times they've had eight or more receivers catch a pass. Five times. None in the, in the remaining six games. I like using trends to look at the entire season, but I think later in the year, the second half of the season, or maybe even the last month and a half, that's more important of where a team is at. Teams change throughout the course of a season. Some get better, some get worse. Look at the Carolina Panthers. They got off to a rocky start and then pretty much ran the table. But then you look at some other teams, Kansas City, they fell apart down the stretch. I want to look at how teams are recently trending with a good sample size. And you look at Seattle's last six games, four regular season, two playoffs. Not one time have they completed a pass to eight or more receivers. Not one game. So I'm going to lay the 175 here and play the under. um, and, And that's where I'm going to go from there. All right, Joe, I'll move on to my number three. I'm in agreement on that one as well. Again, you know, you just got to convert these lines to a percentage and, and then weigh the balance. And at minus 175, like I said, that's about a 63 and a half. Uh, percent implied probability. You look at the numbers you mentioned this year, the implied probability is probably higher that it stays under that. So I agree with that play as well. Now I'm going to move on to one here. Um, you might see better odds on this in Vegas, but the best I could find on an offshore, uh, unfortunately, is 12 and a half. This is for Russell Wilson's longest rush of the game. I've seen 10 and a half at some Vegas sports books when they've posted their props. 12 and a half the best offshore. I still like the over. You look at this year, in only three games had Russell Wilson been held to a longest rush of single digits. So you had a bunch of other games where he was short of this number, but there were rushes of 10 yards, 11 yards, and 12 yards. This is the Super Bowl. In the regular season, quarterback picks up yards, he'll slide, he'll run out of bounds. But this is a big game where every yard counts. They're going to lay it out on the line. 12.5 seems like a low number to me. I don't think Denver's defense is very good. I don't think they can contain him all game long. I'm going to play over 12.5 on Russell Wilson's longest rush, Joe. You know, as we're talking about this, it's a perfect time. I'm going to segue into my third prop because we can combine the two. All right. I'm over 29 and a half rushing yards minus 110 on Russell Wilson for the game. I agree with everything you said. This is the final game of the year. Russell Wilson was at the Super Bowl last year to scout it. To scout it. And let me explain what that means. Russell Wilson flew to the Super Bowl and attended the game to specifically to watch how long the warm-ups were, how long halftime was, how long, how long the commercial timeouts were, because he wanted to get a feel for what it's like to play in this game. He didn't want to warm up too early and use too much energy. He wanted to get the understanding of what the Super Bowl is like and how it's different to everything else. This kid knows it's the final game of the year. He's also smart enough to realize you're never guaranteed to get back to the Super Bowl. This could be his one and only shot, so you know he's going to leave it all on the field. I totally agree that he has at least one big scramble in this game. It might even come on a design run. I think Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator, they're going to have a few design runs for him. I also think they'll have a few read option plays in there where they try to get the ball to Percy Harvin as well. And then I think early in the game with the jitters, instead of looking down the field and trying to thread the needle, maybe he panics just a little bit and realizes, hey, I can get five or six yards scrambling, and he goes that route instead and tries to move the sticks, or at least make it a manageable second or third down. 
down. I do think he's going to be running in this game, and I think he's going to have success against this defense. So I like your over. I also like the over on the total number of yards. Because if we hit yours, yep. we're only a few carries away from hitting mine. Absolutely. And the Broncos this year, they played six quarterbacks, or they had six games against quarterbacks that you would consider mobile or, or even semi-mobile, because I'm going to include Alex Smith in that equation. Five of the six games, they got torn up. The only game where they, they held the opposing quarterback in check was against Washington, where they took on RG3. But RG3, he had basically one knee this year. He didn't do anything against anyone. So uh, Terrell Pryor tore him up. Alex Smith a couple times. Uh, they didn't look good against mobile quarterbacks. And uh, I, I don't trust them against Seattle here. Uh, Joe, let, let's move quickly through our final four here, and I'll go to my number two. This prop is interesting. Uh, you're going to have to bet it quick because offshores are starting to take it down right now, depending on the book. I've only seen it up a couple times, uh, sorry, in a couple spots because the weather is affecting this prop and it's changing the odds. Will there be a missed field goal in the game? I did a double take when I first saw this line because yes is favored. No is plus 120. These are two of the more reliable field goal kickers in the game in Steven Hauschka and Matt Prater. They play outdoors. You look at their success rates this year. Hauschka was 19 of 20 away from home. That one miss was a block at Indianapolis, and you're not going to see blocks too often. Matt Prater, 13 of 13 away from home. 6 of 6 in windy conditions this year. This is just a prop that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. The only way I see us getting burned here is if one of the teams tries a really long field goal. But even then, both of these kickers have big legs. They can hit those field goals. No at plus 120 to me is great value, Joe. I love the analysis. That's the one thing that scares me about this prop. 55-yarder with the game on the line, or maybe a 58-yarder at the end of the first half. I don't think Seattle would try it. When you saw what happened with Hauschka and the story out of the NFC Championship game, when it looked like they were going to kick, and then they called the timeout and went for four on fourth and seven, and Russell Wilson threw that awesome touchdown pass, that was Hauschka going to Pete Carroll from 53 yards saying, I don't think I can make this. I don't think we should attempt it. We should go for it or punt it because I'm not going to be able to reach this. I don't have any confidence. And, and Carroll listened to his kicker and went for it. So I think maybe in this environment of 55-yarder, Seattle wouldn't be inclined to try. But at the end of the first half, you're talking 58 yards. Matt Pratter will probably get trotted out there. So that's the one concern. I agree with the assessment. Both are very solid kickers. They both can deal with the elements. I like the price. That's the one thing that worries me, though. The end of the first half or the end of the game just trying some miracle kick because you got no other options there. That's the one way I could see this losing. So for me, I'm not sure if I'd get on that one, but I agree with the analysis. I don't think it's all that bad a play. Yeah, and Peyton Manning's a really smart quarterback, too, if not the smartest in the league. So for, for me, he's the type of quarterback that'll do his best to give his kicker the best opportunity as well. There was only one time this year where they tried an insanely long field goal. That was the 64-yarder to set the record, and uh, Prater did hit it in Denver. Granted, that's at you know mile high, air is thin, that adds to the distance. But Manning is smart. He'll work his team down in field goal range. Uh, he'll get them every extra yard that they can to get that field goal. That's why I like this prop a little bit more, Joe. Yeah, I, I, I hear you, and I, and I think he can do an excellent job of that. John Fox is a little bit more conservative, so maybe he doesn't try a 58-yarder at right. the end of the half. Maybe he says, you know, to hell with it. Let's just go to the half and figure it out. We don't want to have a, a, a potential meltdown here at the end with a block and a run right. back. But I agree with all the analysis. For me, though, there are a couple situations there that raise some red flags. But like you said, they're very good kickers. If this was, you know, Mason Crosby, who had a good year but can be inconsistent at times, or Alex Henry in Philadelphia, I'd be scared to hell. Right. But in this situation with these two, they've been very, very solid. All right, Joe, let's get to your number two now. 
Uh, you know what? We're going to go Doug Baldwin over 39.5 receiving yards. The media is desperately looking for a story to talk about at Media Day this year or this whole week. They're, they're hammering on Marshawn Lynch. There's no deer antler spray scandal, <laughs> so there's nothing to talk about. Well, why not talk about Doug Baldwin and the plays this guy's made this year? This guy gets no credit for anything. Two reasons I like the over 39.5. One, he seems to be the guy that comes up with a big reception in a big spot. We saw it against San Francisco. Two, you bring back Percy Harvin. I think Harvin functions more as a decoy here. I don't think he's going to have a very big game. I like the under four receptions on him. I don't think he does a whole lot, but I do like the over on the half carry. I do think he gets one carry in this game, but those aren't some of my top plays. Back to Baldwin, though. I think Harvin on the field draws some attention. We talked about going into the AFC Championship game. The loss of Chris Harris is absolutely huge for this defense, but New England couldn't find a way to take advantage of it. Seattle will. They've had two weeks to prepare. They're going to be able to make some plays here, and when in doubt, Doug Baldwin seems to be that guy down the field that you can chuck it up to. So 39 and a half is the type of thing, the type of bet on the over. I think we could pick it all up in one play, but I certainly think there's a way that he can catch two or three passes in the first half, roll up about 29, 30 yards, yep. and then we just need to make one more play towards the end of the game, and I think we'll be able to pull that off. When you sent me your list, this is the play that stood out to me the most because of the of what you already mentioned, but Harvin draws a lot of attention being in the lineup. I, I agree with you. He might, you know, play some special teams and be a big factor, but other than that, Denver probably puts a pretty big emphasis on taking him out of the game. That's going to open it up for the other receivers down the field. I like this prop a lot, Joe. I, I really think that, just like you said, it's possible we connect on one pass that puts this over. Yeah, and that's the beauty of something like this. That, that's why I like these. You, you run some numbers, you figure out a situation where, yeah, it looks good, and then maybe you get that one big play in the second quarter, and you can be the asshole yelling at the Super Bowl party about how you just cashed that ticket. No one's going to care, and no one's going to want to hear it, but you're going to end up getting that win early, and it's nice to get one in your pocket. I don't think this is going to be an easy one, obviously, but that potential is there to cash this one on one play. It's a low number, and I think even if that doesn't happen, but Doug can roll up four or five receptions, 12, 13 yards a pop, and boom, we're good. All right, Joe, well, let's move on to our favorite props for this weekend's game. Uh, for me, I'll start. The prop is total touchdown passes thrown by Peyton Manning. The number is 2.5. The under is juiced 40 cents. I am taking under 2.5. Now, obviously, it's risky betting against Peyton Manning to throw touchdowns. He threw 55 touchdowns this year, 16 more than anyone else in the NFL. But look at his numbers. 18 games this year. Seven of those 18, he was held under this number. Now, that's not a big percentage. That's only 39%. But look on the other side of the ball. Seattle played 18 games this year. In zero games did they allow the over. They did not give up three touchdown passes to anyone. And look at their schedule. They played some good quarterbacks this year. They played Colin Kaepernick, Andrew Luck, Carson Palmer, Drew Brees a couple times, Matt Ryan, uh, Cam Newton as well. It's not like they've been playing scrubs all year. This is a really good pass defense, uh, an, you know, an amazing pass defense, the best that I can remember in a long time, that puts an emphasis on stopping the pass. They drop a lot of guys into coverage. I don't see Peyton Manning throwing more than two and a half touchdown passes. I love this play. I'm playing the under, Joe. 
Yeah, I'm in agreement there. I think it's great analysis. Um, I know a lot of guys here in Vegas that are playing a variety of under props on Peyton Manning, under attempts, under completions, under yards, and under touchdowns, over on interceptions. They're not predicting him to have an awful game. They just think this scenario sets up well, that there's some inflation in terms of his general of his usual numbers where he's shredding bad defenses and he's going up against an excellent defense here. So, yes, I would agree with that under two and a half. He's got to throw three to burn you. I mean, that's at least 21 points then that they're going to put up in this game, which I think, you know, Denver can get there, but I mean, come on, I, ugh, it's, it's not like they're going to be rolling up 35 or right. 42 where these touchdowns can happen left and right. So I'm good with you there. Plus, if they get down on the goal line, you know, they're going to at least try to give it to a guy like Monty Ball or, uh, you know, no Sean Marino down there. So there's the opportunity to get a score there. So I'm with you on that one. I think there's a lot of, I think there's value in a lot of the unders on Peyton Manning. Absolutely. And you, you just touched on a great point. You look at the defenses that Denver has played this year. Now, granted, a lot of those defenses' numbers are worse off because they did play Denver, but you look at it across the board, they only played two top 10 pass defenses all year. One was the Giants. The Giants' numbers are heavily skewed because they had that run of games against terrible quarterbacks uh, where they played uh, McGloin, Barkley, um, uh, Freeman on Monday Night Football, uh, Scott Tolzien. They had a horrible run of quarterbacks there. The other one is Tennessee. Tennessee had the fewest touchdowns allowed in the league, but their yards per attempt and yards per game were right in the middle of the pack. So uh, I don't think that, you know, people were able to run on Tennessee at the goal line, and that's why that number is so low. So Denver hasn't been tested like they're going to be tested here. A group of physical uh, corners and safeties, this is going to be trouble for them. They're going to have trouble getting in the end zone. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's one of the reasons I'm playing the under on Eric Decker, uh, total receiving yards. I, I like Decker. I mean, he's a guy that when you have a really good quarterback, he can make some plays, especially when there's so many other weapons around him taking a t- attention away. But I don't see him being a factor. He's not a guy that does well with press physical corners. They, they can beat him up pretty good at the line of scrimmage, and I think that's what's going to happen. So that's just another prop I'm throwing out there as well. Here's another one if you can find it. I can't get this anywhere. Over under on Eli Manning, the, the amount of times they show him during the broadcast, it's like one and a half. You know you're guaranteed getting one. Yep. They're definitely going to show him again. They're going to have a storyline with, well, Peyton gets his second Super Bowl win. Um, you know, that would put him on par with Eli. Or this is Eli's home stadium. He was the one telling Peyton about this. Or Eli's played the Seahawks this year. Blah, blah, blah. Plus he's sitting up there with Archie and you know they're going to talk about him. So I, I, if anyone can find that, play that over on one and a half. I think that's ludicrous. I like that as well, Joe. Let's move to your top play, uh, your top prop. I looked at this when you uh, sent it over yesterday. I, I loved it. I didn't even think of playing anything like this, but why don't you throw it out there? <laughs> okay, well, first off, i got to make it clear. I went backwards here. Bobby Wagner, the under, that's probably my top play. All right, all right. Um, but I didn't have him in order. <laughs> I do like this one a lot. It's a little risky. It goes against that nonsense I was spewing earlier, but I'm going to play it because I want to try to cash something right off the bat, and I'm going to play Will Matt Prater, the kicker from the Denver Broncos. Will his first kickoff result in a touchback? Yes, is plus 150. I think that's outstanding. I can, when you look at Prater, I understand in elevation he has, a, he has the advantage with those numbers. They might be inflated. But when you compare him and the touchbacks he's had in Denver to the opponents that have come in there and kicked in Denver, he still dominates them. These other guys come in and they can't take advantage of the altitude as much. Same thing on the road. He goes into these different environments. He's having more touchbacks than the opposition. And what that tells us is this guy's a very good kicker no matter what the altitude. The one thing that worries me is if Denver defers 
Seattle takes the ball, then Denver has to kick off. If there's wind in the face, that means Seattle's going to take the wind for the second quarter, which means Prater would be kicking into the wind. In addition to that, you have a problem here where uh, even if he puts it deep, you could have some knucklehead for the Seahawks trying to make a big play early in the game running that ball out. So there are some variables here, but personally, I think at plus 150 for a guy who's known for touchbacks, I'm going to go ahead and take advantage of that and hope to score on it early in the game. So, um, again, it's, it's all it's a volatile situation, but that'd be a fun one to catch right off the bat. Yeah, your second point does worry me because I, I'm not actually sure who's returning kicks in this game, whether it's Golden Tate or Percy Harvin, because they're both pretty good special teams players. Tate's done it for most of the year with Harvin out, uh, but I could see if it is Harvin back there, I could see him taking it from eight yards deep and trying to come out the end zone, make a big play in his first game back. Uh, but I do agree with you at, at plus money, just as the implied probability of that, I, I don't know how you don't take it getting take back on that play. That one, and here's another one for you. Um, each punter to have one touchback in this game. One of the punters is like plus 155. The other one's like plus 140. So if you bet the same amount on both and you get one touchback, yeah. one total touchback, you're making money on that investment. Now granted, these two punters combined all year have only had nine touchbacks, but look at the situation. Unfamiliar environment because it's a road game for both. You've got a Seattle defense that very much can force Denver and Peyton Manning to stall out inside the 50. You've also got a Seattle team that stalls out on their own at times inside the 50. So they're going to be punting into in, in towards the end zone. One of them takes a bad bounce, or one of them just, you know, a, a guy who should be fielding it on the 10 doesn't, and then some idiot running down the field kicks it in the end zone, like we've seen so many times. I, I think just having one touchback in this game, betting both ways on that, is a good play as well. So that's another one I'm looking at. I love that play as well. Again, <laughs> Yeah, we're going to end up with like 50 props apiece. No. I'm going to be sitting there with my sheet, not talking to anyone, clicking off losers as the day goes on. It, it could be a very tough process doing this. I, did, but I think we're going to find a way to win something because we had a lot of good insight here. I did that a couple years ago, and I swore I would never do that again. I literally had a list of like 50 props with all these printouts, and I'm marking them as I go along. I barely even watched the football. Like I couldn't even enjoy the game doing that. No. So I swore I'd never do that again. Joe, before I let you go, uh, the most common question I get on Twitter uh, that I've gotten in the last week is, who's your bet for MVP? Are you bet- betting the MVP in the game? Uh, personally, I see a little bit of value with Golden Tate uh, just because of what we talked about before. Russell Wilson's not a guy that's going to come out and throw you know four or five touchdowns. I think he only did it uh, once this year through four touchdowns. So I could see someone else on the Seahawks getting the MVP. If he throws a pair and they both go to a wide receiver, I could see them getting the MVP. Uh, a lot of you know, uh, game planning is going to go towards stopping Percy Harvin in this game. I think Tate could go off a little bit. If he's returning kicks on special teams, he also has a way to influence the game there as well. To me, that's the only real value I see. Uh, I don't think Denver's winning the game. I could see Manning winning MVP in a losing cause. I could see that happening. Uh, but I, I just don't see a ton of value this year other than Golden Tate, Joe. I would say two things to think about when you go into betting who's going to win the Super Bowl MVP. Number one, who do you think is going to win the game? Right. I agree. Maybe, maybe Manny could find a way to win the MVP in a losing effort, but how many times has that really happened? Yeah. If they lose this game, Seattle's defense is going to play well against him. I don't think his numbers are going to be out of this world. And remember, when it comes to Peyton Manning, his numbers need to be sick for us to take notice. 275 yards and three touchdowns with one interception, that's not that great for him. 
That's just another day at the office. For Alex Smith, that's a huge day. Yeah. For Russell Wilson, that's a huge day. For Peyton Manning, that's not all that great. We're used to 300-plus, three or four TDs. So I think if you've got to find who you think is going to win this game. In this case, I think it's going to be Seattle. Question number two, don't bet the favorites. What the hell's the point of betting Peyton Manning or Russell Wilson or Marshawn Lynch to win this thing? Yeah, you can win some money, but I'd want to take a stab at it. And if I was going to bet the MVP, I'd take Cam Chancellor at 300-1, to one, oh. or I'd take Earl Thomas at 80-1. Yeah. to one. I think that the way this defense plays, they're going to be the reason this game's won if they come up real big. I know that the offense is going to need to do their thing, but I could see a guy like Chancellor forcing a fumble and then having a big pick. Remember, he plays every defensive snap. Or Earl Thomas, the way he roams the field, a possible pick six at a crucial moment, yep, yep. eight total tackles, something like that. Because as we noticed earlier, safeties have success rolling up a lot of tackles against this team. I would take a big shot like that on an 80-1 to or a 300-1. to I can't argue with those because I, I do like I do lean to the under in the game. I think if I'm predicting a final score, it's something like Seattle 24-20. to So Denver's not getting a lot of points. If there's a pick six in the game, that's a game changing play. Uh, it's probably not going to be Richard Sherman. I doubt Manning's going to throw more than a couple times at Sherman. Uh, but any of those safeties, I agree. Tipped ball, they pick it off, bring it back for six. That could be a really lucrative play, Joe. Yeah, I've got this game 23-20 as well, so you're right. One big play. Remember, if a guy rolls up... Think about it. Eight and a half tackles, a huge interception, and a forced fumble. That's an MVP-type game if the defense is the reason the team wins the game. Or you have that big pick six. We've seen guys win MVPs. Who was the guy from Dallas? Was that Larry Brown? Brown. Was that his name? Yeah, Larry Brown. Yeah, he had the game. He had the game of his career uh, in that Super Bowl that won him an MVP. So the way I see it, if I'm going to take a shot on this, I'm going to go deep. I'm going to take a guy that's on the field the whole game, and I'm going to hope for the best. So 300 to one or 80 to one, those are good shots by my standards. Um, you look at Richard Sherman; he's 33 to one. Maybe he makes the game-changing play. But after watching the Niners in the AFC Championship and knowing how stupid it was, Colin Kaepernick threw at him in the biggest play of the game. I think the first thing Manning thought to himself was, "Why would I throw it to this guy when I could go to any one of my other?" receivers and avoid Richard Sherman entirely. That would be the thought process. Absolutely. Joe, uh, it was a great year altogether with the college podcast and uh, here on the Nickel Package. It seems like we're we're on the same side in the game. We have ver- very similar prop plays as well. Uh, wish you all the best for the Super Bowl. It was great breaking it down all year and uh, I look forward to doing this again next year. Yeah, this was a real fun year. Thanks for inviting me on for this. Thanks for everyone who listened to and everyone at the score. We we had some great conversations with guys on Twitter. I got a lot of emails about this podcast with a lot of guys who I think really improved their knowledge throughout the course of the season and shared some knowledge with us too. I mean, we're this is a learning process for everybody, and we've seen some really good picks. So this was a great forum for everybody this year. I I really appreciated being invited on, and I look forward to doing it again. Best of luck to everyone out there this weekend. All right, Joe. Take care. Good luck to you as well. You too, Rob. Thanks. That's Joe Fornbaugh of the National Football Post. If you want even more prop plays, actually go over to the nationalfootballpost.com. Uh, there's a betting prop extravaganza up there as well. Uh, Joe and some of his buddies in Vegas all got together and gave out their favorite props. I believe there's 19 total props uh, there. It was a really good read. Very interesting today. Uh, so be sure to check that out. You can also email, uh, sorry, message Joe on Twitter at Joe Fornbaugh. Follow him as well. And myself at Rob Pizzola. This has been the Super Bowl edition of the Nickel Package. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Good luck with your plays on Sunday. For even more of the best picks in football this week, be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Rob Pizzola and at Joe Fortenbaugh.